We mustn't dwell. No, not today. We can't. Not on Rex Manning Day! Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans come together and have a rockin' good time talking about all of your favorite movie soundtracks. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I'll be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, what's going on? Ah, well, it's finally Rex Manning Day. We've talked about this day for uh, a little while, about doing, uh, doing Empire Records. So here we are, and we have a special guest. Yes, uh, because I contracted a horrible disease in the last two weeks i brought in a ringer with me just in case my voice gives out uh here with us tonight is my co-host from christmas creeps johnny five the human robot all right i mean there's still time to change and talk about mortal Kombat annihilation if you want but i mean we'll see i think we're pretty much locked in by now yeah that was the original plan but then uh someone who's who were made nameless jonathan reminded us that this is rex manning day <laughs> this is actually your fault yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did this to yourself, man. Oh, no, and it's to fine. all of us. Yeah. And, and I, I realized that on our last episode, we said we were doing Ninja Turtles. But uh, with um, the current sort of cultural situation being what it is, we kind of realized that's probably a better conversation left for another day. So we, I, I'm so glad we have a, you know, a backup plan. And it's Rex Manning Day. So, hey, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely perfect. Um, so, but before we get into any of Empire Records, uh, let's talk, let's discuss the uh, poll from our last episode, shall we? Let's. All right. Well, uh, last episode we discussed Interstellar five 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 from Daft Punk with our friends from uh, Secret of the Sailor Madness. Uh, Aerodynamic took uh, nine and a half percent of the vote. Digital Love took thirty eight percent. The winner, Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger, took forty three percent of the vote. Of course. Of course it did. And then something about us, another uh, 9.5%. So uh, not too bad. I think, I think we all kind of expected that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, we, we had didn't a... do one more time, as you recall, because it, it would have run away with, with the polls. So we just assume that's everybody's favorite song. Yeah, because, and, and that's ab- absolutely true. So, you know, let's not front. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, so now it's time for us to talk about all of our favorite Empire records. Now, me personally, my favorite Empire record is Empire by Queenstrike. Libby, what do you think? Oh, um, I wasn't prepared for this question. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the soundtrack to Empire Records, if I'm being honest. This is a good solid soundtrack, the first half anyway. Yeah, some of it is. Back half's a little, a little weak. So who would like to start with, I, I guess... think we should make Jonathan do it. Sum it up, baby. Oh, this is one of those movies that just takes place over one crazy eventful day, a.k.a. someone's memoir basically shoved into a script that takes over place over one day. Uh, this is Empire Records, a independent record store in Delaware, apparently, for some reason. I, I think it's a Wayne's World joke. I'm not sure. Delaware. Hi. I'm in Delaware. Um, they find out one of the employees lucas the night manager finds out that the store is on the verge of being sold to music town the big evil chain uh he decides to take his phone and mute the notifications 
he decides he's going to take the day's take, take it to Atlantic City and let it all ride to see how he does to uh, save the store. And it goes about as well as going to Atlantic City usually does. He, <laughs> the next day is Rex Manning Day, and uh, one of the one of the employees, Deb, tried to commit suicide. There's a lot of things all kind of converging on the same day. And at the end, they just have a big old Save the Teen Center concert fundraiser. You know how these movies go. And then the two main characters who are not the most likable characters in the movie by a long shot finally decide, like, oh, yeah, we love each other because we're the main characters. And they kiss and there's a dance party on the roof at the end. Yes. Um, now, this was actually based on a – this was a script by uh, Carol Heikinen. And she based it on her time working at Tower Records in Phoenix, Arizona. And though the film sort of uh, points out like, oh, the chains are evil and they're going to take over this nice little record store that doesn't exist anymore. She wrote that from working at a chain record store. I just I think that's important that we all know that this was this movie was made to sell a soundtrack. It was filled with hot young stars and a a soundtrack was like oh everybody loves it and that's it this is not a movie this is a bunch of set pieces a handful of quotes and a moderate radio friendly jangle pop soundtrack yeah it it would be like if kevin smith wrote clerks while working at best buy (laughs) that's pretty much what we're working with here yeah and however it does take place i believe um april 8th I'm honestly not sure why April 8th was decided to be Rex Manning Day, because the only time I, I noticed a date was there's a calendar in Joe's office uh, that's set to May, which not that that means anything. Yeah, because the film came out in September 1995, but April 8th is Rex Manning Day. I actually found the answer to that question, and it's kind of depressing. So Rex Manning Day is April 8th, which is today, the day we're releasing this episode. The reason that Empire Records takes place on April 8th is because... Uh, the writer of the film remembered that April 8th was the day that they found Kurt Cobain's body. And so she wanted to memorialize that in a film by making that like a special day in the world of Empire Records. And it's not like acknowledged that that's the reason, but like she said in some interview somewhere that that was why she chose April 8th. Okay, so let me get this straight. On April 8th, a day that lives on an in infamy in the minds of Gen Xers. We celebrate a fake pervert music singer who fucked a teenager. Am I am I getting this correct? Yes. This is fun. We're ha- this is a fun day. This is fun, everybody. I feel really bad because like people really do love Empire Records, and we're gonna kind of shit on it, but it's terrible, and I feel like we. If you, if you, honestly, if you like this film, maybe just turn this off. Enjoy your Rex Manning day. So I have to ask, um, what is everybody's relationship to this film? How did everybody come to this? I have a sister who's about three years older, so she was right in the sweet spot for this movie. Um, I watched it probably when I was, I want to say, 12 or 13, and it struck me kind of as it does now. It's kind of like, a ah, you could do a lot worse for dumb teen movies. You could do better as well. Joe? Um, so I first saw this my freshman year of college. There was a girl in my dorm who decided that this movie was going to be the litmus test for whether or not you were cool. And she showed it to literally every guy in the dorm to decide if we were cool or not. I was not cool. Okay. <laughs> That's it. 
Okay. All right. Didn't care for it, and I tried to like mask my disdain for it and just be like, yeah, okay, that's fine. But she saw right through it immediately. I fall right into the category of the kind of person who would like this movie, and I did for a while, like because it it hits for a nostalgia for something that by 1995 barely existed anymore anyway. And so it really is like a manufactured nostalgia, which watching now and with Rex Manning Day is is a conversation we're all really starting to have with the release of things like Space Jam 2 and the constant reboots of of films is are we being sold a bill of goods in the same stationery we had in fifth grade, Little Lisa Frank stationery? And the answer is yes. And this movie was sort of ahead of the curve on selling our nostalgia back to us. Um, yeah, it, it was kind of a trailblazer in that sense. Yeah, really very strong. Um, I saw this movie late. I think I saw this movie, I guess, the summer of 2002, and I rented it from Blockbuster Video in Oklahoma City because I was going through, at this time, several breakups at once. Oh, God. <laughs> Let me explain. Uh, it was my first time in, being back in Oklahoma after my boyfriend there had dumped me, Martin Tom. I had a boyfriend, by the way. This is my boyfriend, Aaron Bates. We were dating. But I was also sort of half dating on the sly this guy, Anthony. And but it was we weren't really dating. Um, but he was on vacation with his girlfriend. Meanwhile, earlier that year, I had sort of fallen for this guy, Dan Doshi. And Dan looks exactly like Lucas. And when I say he looked exactly like Lucas, I mean right down to the black turtleneck sweaters, the jet black hair, that very thoughtful face. Um he looked exactly like Rory Cochran. I like I look at, at Lucas even now and I can smell Calvin Klein Eternity coming <laughs> off the screen. I'm just so glad you didn't say AJ because I'd be like, all right, I'm going to go back to bed. No, AJ actually reminds me like physically he looked a lot, um, at least the way he dressed a lot like my friend Jason Bates. Um, but he wasn't, Jason off. Bates was not like a nice guy slime bag. But um, now I could say all this, even though Dan broke my heart we are friends now and fun fact his roommate was steve canals creator of fx's pose interesting yep so steve and i were friends um and dan and i are are still friends we we made up years later but i would watch empire records and think well if i can't have a crush on dan which is too bad he's stupid hot I will have a crush on Lucas. And so I put all of my feelings for Dan onto Lucas and still sort of do. I also really do love Liv Tyler's uh, sweater, like crop sweater, plaid skirt, Doc Martens look. But I have a lot of questions about it. Um, Such as? Well, if it's, I mean, it looks like kind of a fuzzy sweater. Like if it's warm enough for a sweater, it's too warm for a, it's too cold for a crop top. And bare legs. Yeah, but that's the 90s, man. It, it's, it's all about wearing the things that you're not supposed to wear. I guess, but I'm just like, aren't she, are you too cold or too hot? And she, like, takes off the lucky red bra later. So I'm like, are you just not wearing a bra, like, underneath the sweater? Isn't that itchy? Like, I've just, I've got a lot of questions. <laughs> well, uh, uh, a practical answer to that is 
even though the film's set in Delaware, it was filmed in North Carolina. So I'm sure it was plenty hot already. I guess, but then she's got like this fuzzy sweater on and they actually, uh, Forever 21 did a sort of like Empire Records line and I picked up a plaid skirt. Oh God, why am I not surprised about any of the the things you just said? Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, I am a 30 something year old woman in Forever 21 buying an Empire Records themed outfit. Well, say no more, mon amour. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Yeah. I know, like, I I, I, I hate myself for, for the way I feel about this movie, because, like, I know it's bad, but I was eating Arby's while I was watching it, like, things I know are bad, <laughs> but that I also want. It's a movie that is, I guess, for our generation, and then somewhat, and then, like, a, up to 10 years older, we're all kind of nostalgic for just the mid-90s in general. Yeah, where you could work at a record store and make fucking rent off of that. But, yeah. like, none of them can, like, because Eddie's working two jobs. Like, AJ mentions that, you know, he needs rent. They all live with their parents. They're all in high school. A fact, please let us not forget that many of them are in high school. This is going to be real important later on. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, like, I would... I would be surprised if at least two of them weren't weren't living in the store itself, you know? Yeah, Lucas absolutely lives in the store. Oh, one million percent. Like, he lives on that couch. So, and I'm pretty sure that um, Burko lives on the roof. Like that, a weird yeah, pigeon. Like I, that, I, I can buy that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it's either. Okay, here, here's the thing. I made the horrible mistake of renting the extended special fan remix instead of the of the original. So I, don't, I honestly don't remember what scenes are and, are and aren't in the theatrical versus the the um, extended version. There is a scene where Burko comes out of what looks like a shack or a shanty of some sort, but I don't remember if it's on the water or like on the roof. Was that in the theatrical version? No. I don't think so, no. But I feel like I saw that. So, because I think I had this on DVD at one point, and I think I had the the fan remix. Yeah, Burko lives like, if not on top of the store, he lives right behind it. Burko's fucking somebody's mom, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, before we dig into the actual soundtrack, though, hey, guess what? I have some billboarding school for you. I'll bet oh, you no. do. You Yay! better. This Her- movie sunk a lot of money in it, into its soundtrack, so you better have some billboarding school. Well, okay, so let's talk about uh, numbers real quick. The movie Empire Records opened September twenty second, nineteen ninety five. Number 17 at the box office. Uh, the number one movie that week was Seven. Number two was Showgirls. <laughs> it mo- lost to Showgirls? Empire Records made a grand total of $273,000 at the box office. Yoink. My condolences. <laughs> the soundtrack, however... Okay, so the soundtrack came out September 9th, 1995, and debuted at number 74, which this is also the same week that Mortal Kombat debuted on the charts. <gasps> The number one album that week was the soundtrack to Dangerous Minds, for whatever okay. that is worth. But uh, Empire Records lasted 14 weeks on the charts, peaked at number 63, uh, fell off the charts in December when the Beatles anthology w- number one was number one and the top soundtrack was Waiting to Exhale. 1995 is very, very strange, y'all. Yeah, it is. It's it's that like weird transitional year in the 90s where... like. Everything can be a hit because why not? We don't know what to do with ourselves anymore. Let's talk about Empire Records, please. <laughs> um, how would we like to structure this conversation? We're gonna have to go through the movie, yeah, because the soundtrack obviously opens with the big lead single, which I've got a great story about. 
But also, the movie has like 30 different songs, like weaving in and out throughout it. And the soundtrack only uses like 10 of them. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to we're going to have to talk about that. Uh, we'll as mention we get to them it. as they come along, but there are too many. There are too many songs to mention. You can look them all up. Uh, we'll point out some of the ones we know, but there are some that are so hidden in the background that you just you can't hear them. And then some songs are so prominent, like in the film, they're just not on the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah I think the best way to approach the soundtrack is you realize that except for two of the songs, every single song on it was written for the soundtrack. Most of them appeared only on the soundtrack, and they definitely appeared first on the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, who would like to lead us off then? So, well, I'll go first. Um, because as we've discussed, we see Lucas, uh, Rory Cochran from Dazed and Confused, who gets to close the store. This is very exciting. We, get, we are indicated that uh, he doesn't always get to close the store. Um, and he is told, uh, count the money twice. Stay out of Joe's beer, cigars, and drumsticks, um, which he immediately breaks that rule, except for counting twice. And as we note, he discovers that they are planning to sell Empire Records to the super corporate sounding music town. Um, And so he takes his motorcycle, because of fucking course he does, to Atlantic City, past Trump Tower, which has since been demolished. Thank God for that. Amen, amen. And this is to the sounds of I Don't Want to Live Today by the Ape Hangers. Let's go to a quick... I think having done these kind of soundtracks for going on, what, three years now? Yeah. I'm starting to really kind of appreciate this. I don't know if it's like a pop grunge sound, but it's definitely the the radio-friendly aftermath of grunge. Yeah, it's 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 grunge morphing into alternative rock, basically. Yes, yes, there's the word I was looking for. I'm starting to appreciate it a little bit more. Uh, This isn't one that I would pick out necessarily but it's one i i wouldn't skip this uh the singer's having a real tough second verse there if you listen <laughs> i found the music video for this and it is very much the most like 1995 thing i've ever seen yeah this <laughs> this this song very much feels like a oh people like this is like this is like people realize that insomniac was the greed album that broke big yeah There's, like, I, can, I can name like so many songs that sound exactly like this and they're all the same song yeah yeah this song sounds exactly like the theme song for Mallrats, mm, if you remember yeah. that. Yep. Like if they you put have... if you put this over the opening credits of that movie, nobody would notice. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely it's a little bit it's a little bit filler. Yeah, it kind of is, but so, I mean it's, it's 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 good high energy like opening credits music for a movie like this. So. But that's it, the thing I is, think it's it actually not the opening credits. I, I guess in my mind, I just remember it being the opening yeah. well, no. credits. And that's the thing is the opening credits um, was a song called The Honeymoon is Over by The Cruel Sea, which was only oh. on select uh, European releases. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. We've already entered the evil parallel universe of the 
extended version because there's a scene in there where some woman begs Lucas to open the store up for her after midnight so she can come in and buy a record and she convinces him that basically misbehaving is fun. It's an absolutely meaningless scene and I definitely didn't need to be in there. Well, Empire <laughs> Records is open till midnight to cater to the hooker and vampire crowd. Of course. <laughs> My favorite detail in all of this though is that Empire Records apparently sells Super Nintendos. They yes. Did, did you see the games? Uh, Mario Paint was one of them. Stanley Cup Hockey and Stunt Race FX were the other two. Hell yeah. Oh, man. Take me back. <laughs> so, Lucas, uh, his grand scheme. His grand scheme is like the kind of thing you would do on, in a sitcom to save the day. And it fails miserably. Yeah, and he wins first. Because he, ta- he you know rolls up. He puts all the money on the craps table. It's $9,104. He counted it twice. And he wins, and he says, let's let it ride. And the guy's like, that's an $18,000 bet. And he immediately rolls snake eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and here we get sort of the first instance of the fact that Lucas will, could, will break the fourth wall for the remainder <laughs> of the film. Oh, yeah. Which is a weird touch. It's a weird narrative decision. I don't know what's going on with Lucas. Like, he, he feels like he came from a different movie. I think they all came from a different movie. Honestly, I'm not entirely sure that each of them had the same script. That makes a lot of sense, actually, yeah. So. There's, there's so many different stories that don't feel like they belong in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> all, none of them None of them fit together. No. Like, honestly, the only person who actually feels like he belongs in this movie is Mark. Yeah. Yes. If you ask me. Fucking Mark. And even still, what the hell's going on there? He's wearing like a raver pacifier, but he's just listening to nothing but punk and metal. Yeah. Mark is an enigma. Okay. Mark is the, the, this movie personified. He has yes. no idea what he's doing, but he's so fucking happy to be here. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the next morning we've got uh, AJ, mm-hmm. who is a sad sack and wears... You could tell he's deep because he wears a cardigan and a checkered shirt. And he has that fucking haircut. Yeah, he's got the fucking Leonardo DiCaprio, Romeo and Juliet haircut. Yep. Um, which every boy was required to have at at least one point. My husband had it. Everybody had it. I was not allowed to have hair that long when I was a kid. Well. Thank God for that. I would go back and check because your parents might have been breaking some laws. (laughs) I think you were required. To have no, I th- my my dad was bald and he was jealous. I think that's what it was. Okay, well, that's not an excuse for breaking the law, Joe. <laughs> so I do want to just take a moment because I love the beautiful marquee of Empire Records. Like I'm nostalgic. Like I remember when record stores look like that. No, you don't. You don't fucking remember that, you idiot. I remember when buildings looked like that. You know. Yeah. Just... No, I don't. I've never <laughs> seen a building like that. Never in my life. Fun. Fun fact, uh, Empire Records, the actual like storefront, it's in Wilmington, North Carolina. It's on the same street as the pawn shop from The Crow. Okay, uh, we're going, right? It's two blocks from the pawn shop from The Crow. And we're going to go, and I'm going to wear my plaid skirt from Forever 21. Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to wear, inexplicably, a sweater. Sure, why not? We're doing it. I think the, clo- I think the clothing was tactical. <laughs> go on. <laughs> It's just like, oh, well, I'm going to work planning on banging Rex Manning today. I better wear some, the thing I have that's easiest to get out of. I guess, but also I'm going to wear combat boots because it's the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. We'll get to that. But speaking of fashion, we see Joe, the owner, 
and he rolls up and he's got on a tie and a leather jacket because like he has to be corporate but he's like a rebel deep inside it's just like it's like meaningful yeah his character trait is failed musician yeah <laughs> oh yeah 100 percent. so he rolls up and discovers what's been going on to the tune of a, a very like on the nose needle drop it's it's uh hey joe by Jimi hendrix covered by the dirt clods yes and uh it's not on the soundtrack nope but nope. um but i do want to point out i love his leopard print couch and have coveted it for years it's a very nice couch it's it's what i've wanted i've always wanted the couch from empire records i love the aesthetic of empire records i love everything about it except it yeah yeah that's that's i think that's that's probably like what people like about the movie it just seems like a nice place to hang out in the movie yeah. and the story and the characters completely incidental because as far as i could tell only gina and Corey actually work there yeah we get our first um our first instance of the gin blossoms till i hear it from you when gina played by two-time oscar winner renee zelliger rolls up in her jeep to pick up Corey. Uh, played by Liv Tyler. But, um, and we learn... Well, should we talk about uh, Till I Hear It From You, or do you want to save that till the end? No, I mean, let's go ahead and play it, because this is the the one song that, like, everybody knows. Yeah. Let's go ahead and do it. This is the Gin Blossoms, Till I Hear It From You. I didn't ask, you shouldn't have told me First I'd laugh, but now Sinking in fast, whatever they've sold me now it's it's interesting to me that this is like this so this is their breakout hit this is their first like number one single i guess was it any jealousy before this i thought it was but apparently this was like their biggest hit and that confuses me because like the the one gin blossom song you always hear now is hey jealousy not till i hear it from you so I think that must have just been like a, a holdover from the 90s where like, yeah, this was the one that hit that broke big. I love it. I love the Gin Blossoms. And this song is just so sweet. And I can't tell, though, if it's a romantic song or if it's a breakup song. I je- I honestly can't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. i um, sure. This my dad really likes this song, and I pitched it for our father daughter dance, and he said no, it's a breakup song, and I'm like, well, we're not getting married. <laughs> uh, but um, so I have a fun story about the Gin Blossoms. I have two fun stories. Okay. So I saw the Gin Blossoms actually in Binghamton. They played at Magic City Music Hall, which, like everything, is now defunct, and I managed to worm my way to the front row and um lead singer robin wilson held the microphone down to me he gave me the tambourine which he does he like passes the tambourine around and gave me a kiss on the cheek and then afterwards i got them to sign a ticket stub he gave me the set list he gave me another kiss on the cheek and as i left magic city music hall and got back to my dorm i thought hey wait a second i could have hooked up with him (laughs) It did not occur to me <laughs> that there was a reason I was the last lady there. Like, wait a second. You messed up, Libby. I know. I know. I could have gone to bed with Robin Wil- uh, Robin Wilson of the Gin Blossoms. Yeah. 
So that's that's my my one Gin Blossom story. It's the, they're they're great, and I got all mushy when they played this and everything. The Gin Blossoms are phenomenal, and they put on a great show. And then I saw them, uh, my husband and I saw them a couple of years back. And once again, I went to the front of the stage and he looked at me and he handed me the tambourine. I'm like, yes. So I feel <laughs> like I should put in my Twitter bio that I am the tambourine player for the Chin Blossoms. Uh, yeah, that I think that's perfectly fair. So, yeah. Sounds uh, accurate to me. I was. They did not stick around for autographs um, after after that set, which is too bad. Yeah, that's, that sucks. So, um, I, um, I also have a Gin Blossoms concert story. Would you like to hear it? Yes, obviously. <laughs> so I saw them a couple of years ago uh, at an industry function here in uh, in Greensboro, where it's you know it's the the oh, Car- right. the furniture market, and every year the furniture market brings in like you know some popular artist to play, quote unquote popular artist to play. Last year it was supposed to be um, was it Fits in the Tantrums. I don't know what that is. It's a it's a more recent band, but because is that of, like Doug and the Slugs? Sure, but because of the pandemic, that didn't happen. But then two years ago, it was the Gin Blossoms. So Nikki and I, I, I finagled a pass for Nikki to get into this free concert for the for industry professionals, whatever. I really think we were the only two people there who even knew who the hell the Gin Blossoms were. Oh, <laughs> because like they would launch into their hits. And nobody really reacted. But they play a, like one Tom Petty song. They start playing Free Fallen. Everybody goes fucking crazy. <sighs> it's just these like 40-year-old business professionals wearing suits and ties who are just there for a free concert. They didn't care. They didn't know who the hell the Jim Bluffins were. It kind of sucked. But the, That's but the, depressing. But the concert was, the band was awesome. The, the show was great. The yeah. audience sucked. <laughs> Yeah, they they put on a good solid show. They're a lot of fun. Um and this song I feel like is is a really good personification of what they do. Oh yeah. Um, absolutely. At more than than Hey Jealousy, but um this one it's just got that really really warm guitar and yeah, It's a little more mellow, yeah. Yeah, and he just has the most romantic voice. Like it's yeah. just so full of longing. And the problem is this isn't a breakup song or a love song. It's a song about like, hey, all of our friends are saying you're cheating on me. Uh, is that true? <laughs> That's yeah. And it's yeah. So it's yeah, it is kind of a weird, a weird song later for the end over the kind of romantic montage. But we'll we'll get there. Yeah, I think it was more important that they got the gin blossoms than a specific song. They had, and, they had a jangly noise in Jim Blossoms. That's all you needed. Yep. Well, yeah, and actually, they uh, this was their you know this kind of exposed them to that wider audience, mm-hmm, and yeah. they still say to this day that they were very pleased to be a part of it. Right. So they've they've spoken on it before. Insane because nobody watched this movie at the time. But I think everybody bought the soundtrack. Yeah, I think the soundtrack it, it did chart. It, it, the soundtrack charted for a good like three or four months. And I think the the single and the soundtrack kind of propelled each other. So like one helped out the other, which helped out the other. I guess yeah. I don't know. Did yeah. you have you seen the video for this song? No. Yes. It looks like a goddamn Gap commercial. It's just a <laughs> side-scrolling view of just a bunch of like the most '90s cool like twenty-something you've ever seen. And then every once in a while, the gin blossoms show up, <laughs> and then it scrolls back the other way with some other and some of the more same cool twenty-somethings. It looks like a concept piece for the the sitcom Friends. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's fair. That's fair. Yep. Um, 
But this is the moment we learn that Corey is going to offer herself to Rex Manning, which is gross. Now, Rex Manning, well, we'll get to him. It's we'll too talk gross. about him. I can't, I can't even, like, I don't want to say any more about Rex Manning until I absolutely have to, because this, this film seems very excited about offering up teenagers to middle-aged men. And and just in general, the movie is like weirdly obsessed with Rex Manning right up to the point where it absolutely isn't. Yeah, it's a weird it, it wraps around sort of a weird concept there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, Meanwhile, AJ, uh, who suffers from a terminal case of nice guy itis, says he's going to do the same to Corey. He's going to offer himself up to her because he is gross. And his hair is floppy, and none of his clothes fit, and he's disgusting. He's just a dude, man. I don't know. <laughs> to be clear, he's he's supposed to, he, he is supposed to be in the '90s, the cool, thoughtful guy. A lot of a lot of the realizing how sleazy he is is definitely hindsight. I'll say. Oh yeah, but like as a girl in the '90s, like this was always the kind of guy that they were offering us in YM, and I'm sure I was probably going to fall for it if boys even looked at me in the 90s which they didn't but he's just i am looking at this through a lens of being 37 and being like you need to sit down go wash your greasy ass hair and get it together you disgusting little worm so well speaking of disgusting little worms i guess we have to talk about rex manning now because as at like the the staff is cleaning up the store because it's Rex Manning Day, and they bring out uh, a TV with a video music video playing, and it's the Rex Manning music video for "Say No More, Mon Amour." Let's go to the clip. We learned that Rex Manning was on a show called The Family Way, mm-hmm. um, which is already weird because that's a euphemism for being pregnant. Uh, that he was a teen icon because Rory, who again is in 1995, has all of his records, um, and she is caressing a picture of him that does not look like the Rex Manning that later shows up. Um, is he supposed to be like a Robert Palmer type, or like who, is, like? Rod Stewart, like who is he? What's the guy from the Partridge Family? Donny Osmond? No. Are you thinking of the dad from the Partridge Family? No, no. What the fuck is that guy's name? See, oh, the, let me look. Like the the vibe that I got was like Tom Jones. David yeah. Cassidy. He's supposed to be David Cassidy. Oh, oh yeah, I can see that. Okay. Okay, yeah. Um, especially like in the like like our seventies icon in the nineties. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, he's supposed to be like he was big, being like a teen heartthrob in the in you know a decade or two ago. He probably had a very short like heart like music career launching off of that, and he's just kind of still trying to make sure that music career is still going. Right. Okay. And it's uh, it's weird to me that like all of these teenagers are like obsessed with the idea of Rex Manning. I don't it's know. Called irony, Joe. I know it's called irony, but it's just, like, for and, what he winds up being, it doesn't track to me. Well, see, it weirdly tracks for me, and I think because right now, because of the TikToks and the youth and their big sneakers, 
they're all obsessed with like old music like um the fact that the suicide squad trailer was set to steely dance dirty work Mm, yeah like it baffled even me and i love steely dan i was like that seems like a weird choice for a movie it made in 2021 but like my my husband works uh he's the executive director of a youth center and the kids will be like have you heard of don't stop believing by journey and he's like yeah yeah i saw glee like <laughs> so yeah there is this weird thing right now where like teens are like they're interested in older music so like it's weird because i feel like yeah that probably didn't track in like 1995 but weirdly tracks now <clears throat> so but yeah that's weird i didn't get donny osmond um yeah i got i think because say no more mono more tom jones would fucking kill that yeah i think you so. know he would and the satin shirt like everything I don't know. I got a very Robert Palmer vibe from that video, and I think it's because of the rail thin girls in the black yeah. dresses it, and just the dancing in general. Yeah, it just gave me like uh, a Robert Palmer vibe, but Robert Palmer would never. Yeah, the um, problem is if you had Tom Jones in this movie, it would just be about how everyone's forming an order, uh, orderly line to fuck Tom Jones, and it's like, well, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's Tom Jones. Obviously. Yeah, and Tom Jones by this time uh, was getting ready to save the world from aliens. Right. Like, well, I mean, Tom in the mid 90s, Tom Jones was huge again because uh, it's not unusual was like a joke in literally every movie. Yeah. And that song was just everywhere again. All of a sudden. Isn't that Carlton's blame? Yeah, I I think so. Yeah, it was also a little voice. I remember seeing it in that. It was also like it was in uh, that movie Hot Shots as like a shorthand for, hey, this guy's in Las Vegas. Yeah, he was doing (laughs) Vegas residencies then. Yep. Um. I just want to uh, make a quick note before we continue. Please. On uh, Say No More and Mono More. Um, that they do a, a game where they open up a bag of M&Ms and each of them get one. And somebody pulls and they say, you know, yellow. And whoever has the, the right M&M gets to play DJ. And Mark gets to play DJ. Um, he plays a song called seam by queen sarah saturday it is not on the soundtrack and aj uh later vetoes it saying that that music will make you sterile (laughs) and it's like well you would know you're probably shooting blanks but like i know i know that you probably jerk off underneath a morrissey poster but let other people have their music now that being said say no more mono more will make you sterile well, oh, absolutely. But, like, the thing that AJ says is is funny because the song that Mark plays sounds like every other song in the movie. I know. It's sort of like, except like, for, uh, and there's a couple other songs that we'll, we'll get to a little later. And yeah, you're like, like, this is music for AJ. Okay. Like, okay. Except, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is his sad jerk-off music. But then uh, then Deb shows up to work, immediately goes back into the, the back room, the, the bathroom in the back, and shaves her head. Because Deb has problems. Yes, and that's that's her sort of shorthand for like Deb. Deb is troubled. Like she's she's a good girl, but she's like deeply troubled. She rides a Vespa, and who plays Deb? It's not Debbie Mazar. She comes in later. It is Robin, Robin Tunney. Robin Tunney. So I um, I love Deb, and the song that is playing as she shaves her head is "Free" by the Martinis. Let's Google a clip. So- Thank you. 
on. Um, this is track four on the soundtrack. The first um, four songs, completely solid. It gets a little wonky after that, but um, this the the first couple songs on on the album are just straight fire and this is one of them um this is uh joey santiago of the pixies and his wife linda malari it is so lovely and drifting and floaty and it's i guess sort of a proto shoegaze i guess that's what they call this now then it was sort of called dream pop yeah yeah but oh man i just i love this one it kind of reminds me of uh air from seven day diary for tommy boy in that it was written just for this they had one album and disappeared disappeared i mean joey went back to the pixies at some point yeah, yeah. but like they they never they, i think they were basically unsigned it was on a, an indie label right so and then it was... this is another one of those songs that like the movie apparently loves because they, they bring it back at the end mm-hmm. so my husband as he was watching this with me pointed out why do they have hair clippers in the bathroom at empire records <laughs> deb was apparently planning this the whole time of course so she must have done this like the day before she's like prepped for it it's like <laughs> tomorrow i'm gonna have a freak out and i'm just gonna shave my head yeah. And then she probably got mad because later Corey um, sort of steals her freakout scene. Yeah, she kind of upstages her a little bit. And we learned that Deb uh, tried to slit her wrists, and AJ is a stupid jerk about it. He's like, tell me. Mind your own fucking store, dude. Don't get <laughs> aggressive with her. Keep your fucking hands to yourself. And uh, this is the point where like everybody in the store discovers what Lucas has done, and they start making fun of him for it. Yes, and... Um, Lucas is very chill about it. And this is, I think this is the point. There's a line right here. This is the point in the movie where I thought, you know what? This movie is bad and it can go fuck itself. Because AJ, who has a stupid brain and a garbage dick, says, you're like the Chinese guy from the Karate Kid. Mr. Miyagi was Japanese. You absolute fucking monster. You fool. You absolute fool. If somebody said that, like, in real life, you'd be like... Oh, Mr. Miyagi was Japanese, actually. It's like a big thing. Like, they go to Japan in the second movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. this was a screenwriter wrote that line. They wrote a purposefully ignorant line that did not get corrected because apparently to them, all Asian people are the same. Listen, this movie takes place in 2011 where there was a Karate Kid film where Mr. Miyagi was Chinese because Jackie Chan <laughs> did do... A karate kid movie. Okay. So this movie exists sort of across all time and space and pulled in the new karate kid. This is science what fiction saying. is what I'm saying because it takes place in the future. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we already said that. I, I watched a parallel universe mo- version of the movie that had more fucking scenes in it that meant nothing. And you know what? In, in, in a 2011 version of this film, I will accept that, you know, a record store is, you know, a precious commodity that, that must be saved at all costs. In 1995, eh, who cares? Yeah. Yeah, we were busy building shopping malls. Like, no one was going to save your fucking record store. Mid-90s were kind of the last gasp of, like, casual racism towards Asian people was just still a funny thing you could do in movies. Uh, See Wayne's World 2 if you'd like to know more. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's just, uh, it's it's really bad, and and I'm sorry. Um, I really think the the writer and the director owe everybody an apology for this. I'm I'm not letting this go. It is, a, it is an occupational hazard with watching especially comedies from the 80s and 90s. Like, you watch a late 80s comedy like Revenge of the Nerds or any John Hughes thing, you have to go into it knowing, okay, this movie is probably going to have some really bad problems with understanding what the fuck consent means, 
And also, it's probably going to be really racist, especially in the specific ways of, aren't Asian people weird? Here's a gong when one shows up. And, wow, black people are scary, but also cool at the same time. Yeah, and it's and just, then in the Yeah, like I said, it just, it it's pointless. It is a pointless joke. In the 90s, it just flips over to just, Asian people sure are funny, plus gay panic. That That's the change that happens. Yeah, because there's some gay panic, we get that later. Or not gay panic, but like some casual homophobia. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's, it, 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 I'm not trying to excuse the movie. What I'm trying to say is, this is every movie from this time, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, again, with its focus so deeply on, it's, like, being so steeped in pop culture, to to get that so wrong is it's just, intentional. It, it's a weird, it's a weird choice. And one can only assume a, a deliberately stupid one. Speaking of weird and deliberately stupid choices, the song that they play when everyone's making fun of Lucas for, for blowing the store's money is uh, the Flying Lizard's cover of Money, That's What I Want, and I fucking hate it. Uh, although I do like that, because this is the second time we've had that song. Yeah, we heard it in The Wedding Singer. Yes, we did. That's real. Okay. I was like, I know I've heard that song somewhere beside this movie. And it's immediately followed by another song we heard in The Wedding Singer. Uh, as they're continuing to set up the store for Rex Manning Day, we hear Video Killed the Radio Star. And isn't that where we get the big speech from Mark about Rex Manning Day? Yes. Quote, unquote, big speech. Oh, we mustn't dwell. No. No, not today. We can't. <laughs> not on Rex Manning Day. We also meet um, Ed, the pizza guy. Now, he made Mark a tape. And it's all, it's stuff like, um, weird, like there's some Pink Floyd on it. There's, uh, it's not Schoolhouse Rock, but there's like little PSAs and things like that. This is the worst type of guy that makes a mixtape. Just the worst type. And this is like, this is as far as this, this movie is like, thoughts and criticism on popular music goes goes no deeper than mark saying yeah pink floyd is cool yeah this is the music that holds the world together like you know there are other bands other than pink floyd right and led zeppelin there are other bands we are in a a music store you could take your pick of all of them yeah it's very strange because it it seems to be like a baby's first uh like proto-punk thing because like he talks about the shags being on there (sighs) and stuff like that and then mark only really reacts when he says pink floyd like oh i've heard of that one yeah my dad listens to that but he also gets some space cakes um his recipe with extra sugar he means weed which is funny because sugar actually means cocaine. Yes. So he's an idiot. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, we also see a quick thing about AJ drawing Corey. I'm calling the police at this point. Sting will do nothing to help you, but hey. <laughs> Sting is probably on that tape and it's going to be like, oh my God, Sting. This is the music that holds the world together. Oh, and which, hey, it's that, that's actually true. Agreed. So then, then we meet Warren Beatty. <gasps> Warren Beatty from Dick Tracy? Yes, the the one and only. This is the exact same. A kid shows up and starts shoplifting records, like you do. CDs. CDs. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they Albums. make a big point of calling it like Empire Records and talking about vinyl, but it really is all CDs at this point. There's a one sign that says vinyls, which I've never seen a record store use the phrase vinyls, but, you know, go off. Um, I think there's one scene at the end of the film where, like, somebody is showing a kid what a vinyl record is. It's fucking Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, there's a scene. This this might be another one of my parallel universe scenes. There's a scene where uh, Mark shows Eddie the the CD that AJ burnt, and Eddie spends the entire time being like, "That's why you should listen to vinyl, man." Yes, I remember <laughs> that. It's it is in the extended, um, and he's he's not wrong, but um, that's neither here nor there. But um, yes, we have a shoplifter. Lucas Lucas runs him down in a very madcap scene that is set to the next song on our soundtrack, which is a cover of Generation X's Ready, Steady, Go. By a band called the Mises? Yeah, I have no idea. I don't, uh, don't know what that is. Yes, well, let's, let's go to a clip. Were really big into these kind of like uh these punk songs that all sound the same yeah these sort of like ramones knockoffs i mean in part because yeah it was it was generation x um and this is strangely one of two songs that's not originally made for the album and they chose yep. this song to yeah. bring in of all things and it's fine but we were having that kind of punk revival with green day and actually uh coyote shivers took time out of stalking his wives to talk to uh, Consequence of Sound, and he mentions that they had originally wanted to get Billy Joe Armstrong to play Burko. And so this was, yeah, right after like Insomniac had come out. And um, so we were really back in, in this punk mindset. But all of these songs sound the same. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I'll, I'll just say like, as far as the song goes, I like the song. I, can't, I mean, the original's better, of course, but like, it's 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 a fun song to to set a a, a chase scene to, I guess. Yeah, it's actually yeah. it's, it's it one works. of the better needle drops. But so uh, yeah, Lucas captures the shoplifter. They ask him his name, and he just says his name's Warren Beatty. So then, for the entire rest of the movie, everybody calls him Warren, and he hates it so much. <laughs> it's like it's honestly one of the only times I laughed in the entire film when I realized that's what they were doing. Yeah. So I like Warren. And like Lucas is making fun of his choice of uh, of selections. He's like, "Well, look what you took here." He's like, "Rap, metal, rap, metal, Whitney Houston." <laughs> and it's again like that's a real like soft white boy shit because he's like, "Rap and metal, like you need to diminish your criminal impulses." Like, excuse me, rap yeah, and metal like, oh, are not for- criminal. Yeah, he says like, "Oh, that's for my girlfriend." No, it's not. So yeah, Whitney Houston is great. Don't embarrass people. Exactly. Um, don't. Don't judge people for what they like. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, this is high fidelity. Come on, <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is high fidelity for teenagers. And in the middle of all this, Rex Manning shows up in the flesh. It's the cool writer. Say what? <laughs> it's the main character from Grease too. <laughs> it's the actor. I forget his name. I'm drawing a blank on his name, but it's Maxwell Caulfield. Yeah, he he played. Uh, Sandy's cousin, the cool writer in Greece too. Oh, boy. oh, okay, okay. Which is, don't bother watching it. It it's the only fun thing about the movie is that there is a musical number at a bowling alley that's just the the stupidest goddamn thing in the best way. <laughs> the only thing I know about Greece too is that Michelle Pfeiffer's in it, and that's honestly like I would see that for Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, so then uh, Rex shows up in the middle of this kerfuffle with Warren. And while they're waiting for the police, uh, Lucas makes Warren pose for photos, and Rex decides to pose for photos with him. Which I know, is honestly, I love that. 
the the the, the hardest I laughed at the entire movie. Yeah, because <laughs> they have like a shoplifter wall, and Rex Manning's up there now. Yeah, it's pretty. It's kind of charming. Mm. Um. Yeah. We get a brief appearance by uh, Burko, played by Coyote Shivers. Uh, he sucks. He sucks really hard, and we hear uh, Dishwallows counting blue cars, which is not on the soundtrack. It sh- there's no reason it shouldn't be. Um. Well, because we've we've got one Gin Blossom song, we don't need to. I actually really like counting blue cars, and I probably shouldn't, but there's something about it that just like gets me. I've I've come to really in, like enjoy this song as the years have gone on. Like I did, I used to think it was kind of dumb, but now it, I'm weirdly nostalgic for it. Yeah, I think that's it. And I'm kind of surprised they didn't do like they did with the wedding singer, and like uh, we see later with Rami and Michelle's high school reunion. Um, they didn't do a like more songs from Empire Records. There's no reason that this couldn't have had two yeah. two CDs. Counting Blue Cards is the kind of song AJ would play when he's trying to get it up your shirt. That's all I can say. Oh, about absolutely. It. Like, yeah, it's it's ninety sad boy music, but um and during the Rex Manning shit, uh Jane quits because some teens laughed at her. Yeah, so Jane is incensed when the the staff and Warren specifically make fun of Rex Manning for being Rex Manning. And she suddenly realizes that Rex Manning's not cool, I think. I, I th- I think she's been lying to herself, like, no, this, you know, this, this guy's got some staying power. He's been around since the eighties, you know. And then she's like, you know what? You're telling me things I already know. I guess, but it's just like, oh, so some teens make fun of you, so you quit your job. How sensitive are you? They're just teens. You're making a lot of money. They're making minimum wage. One of them's a shoplifter. How sensitive are you, Debbie? Again, going through the Sliders universe, is there a scene where she's sitting on a couch with Joe? Probably in the theatrical in the, thea- in the theatrical version. I don't I think so. Much. Yeah. Okay. They have a heart to heart that kind of makes it make a little sense. But yeah, she it, it it does really feel like she's just like I just need one reason to quit. Oh, here's seven. Cool. Yeah. Here's yeah. some teens making fun of me. If we all stopped doing what we did because teens made fun of us, we would never get anything done. If we if we just stopped doing everything we do we do because teens made fun of us, the world would stop moving. Yeah. You know. That's what teenagers do. But it's like the John Mulaney pit. Like, teenagers will find, like, the thing you're most sensitive about and make fun of you about it. Like, ha, 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 that man's got high skinny hips. (laughs) No, that's the thing I'm sensitive about. We hear Joe playing some drums to ACDC. There's, like, people in listening booths. There's a lot of, like, montage scenes of, like, here's what happens at this record store. Yeah, that's why this movie takes place over a day, allegedly. But, like... There's probably nine hours worth of shit that happens before lunch. Yeah. Oh, totally. So, um, and we also get to see, I guess, the villain of this film, who is the owner of Empire Records. And his name is... Corporate Manager Man. Yes, his name is Mitch. And this is what we hear better than Ezra's Circle of Friends, which if you look this soundtrack up on Spotify, this song is absent. So one song's not on there. Yeah, so yeah, it's also like in like the playlist on YouTube. It's gone too. It's yeah. not. It's blocked in this country. Yes. Uh, let's let's play a clip of that one. This is, again, we are really big into this sort of uh, early pop alternative uh, college, what was called college radio at that point. Um, I do like 
better than Ezra. I don't like them as much as... For me, it goes like the Gin Blossoms, better than Ezra, Toad the Wet Sprocket. Because deep down, I am like... Deep down, I probably am AJ. Like somewhere in my heart is a grandpa cardigan. Had some fans. But um, this has like extra guitars. It's like super guitar-y. They bring in like the reinforcements, but it really like picks up in the the second verse when the drums slam in. I do yeah, love it's... that '90s warbly guy voice. I'm a sucker for it. I'm the worst. Yeah, I mean, this is the point where I, ha- I have to kind of admit, like, yeah, they're all starting to sound the same to me. Yeah, and this one, I think, if this was further down on the soundtrack, um, you probably would forget about it. Yeah, this is down over like Luster and Cracker. You're just like, yeah, it's just one of those other bands. Yeah, this is track seven. So, uh, but it's behind two really kind of weak tracks. So it it stands out by contrast. Oh, um, we also see Burko like walking around holding a guitar. What a fucking dork. Yeah, and this is like Burko just kind of suddenly shows up in the film as far as I'm concerned. Because like he just has been in the background a lot and all of a sudden he's here i'm like is this another employee how many people work at this store is he stalking deb is he maybe sleeping with the mom of one of the stars we don't know (laughs) okay so we should probably say now burko was married to baby pl Liv tyler's mom that's Liv tyler's stepdad and he's like well like 10 years like it's 10 years older than her hi missy i mean mom older than her (laughs) so to be fair it's not super skeevy because Burko Burko and Corey basically exist in two separate movies but they really don't interact that much if at all yeah Burko seems to be Deb's ex of some sort and only really interacts with Deb yes but again it's sort of like then why are you in this movie well they they cut out like two full characters there's some point they're like look we're running out of characters they cut out Tobey Maguire and I think that's because he kept showing up drunk to set, though. What? I I don't remember this part exactly. So this might just be slander. Um, Tobey Maguire was supposed to be in the movie. He's in the credits, and he was cut. And I think I remember reading somewhere it's because he kept showing up to set fucked up. That's crazy. And then another character I think named Lily was completely cut as well. Huh? I I do remember. I remember reading this. Like uh, the director was talking about. You know, have, have everybody having like rental houses on the beach while they're making this movie. And he comes home one night to his rental house and he finds Toby Maguire in the basement drunk off his ass. <laughs> and Toby Maguire like basically begs to be sent back home because he just does not want to be there. Oh, yeah, Toby that's Maguire. what it is. So, um, but the song that's playing in this scene with Burko and Deb is Toad the Wet Sprocket's Crazy Life. Um, so let's let's get a clip of that one. Yeah, let's do that. Now, again, I like Toad the Wet Sprocket, but this is 100% music that AJ jacks off to. (laughs) It's just like, it's so whiny and... It is 90s nice guy music. And the the distortion adds a nice veneer of depth. But there this song it's, means nothing. It's a little it's it's a little down tempo for me to the point where like it's basically not a song. Like it's, I just Yeah. It went in one ear and out the other. Oh. And like I've not 
I don't care about Toad the Wet Sprocket anyway, so it's just like, yep, okay, I, I, I'm right. <laughs> Let's move on. In my head, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to. No, 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 you're the absolutely conversation. right. Uh, but <laughs> it's like, it's really oh, high- everything that I thought I knew about Toad the Wet Sprocket, it was true. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> meaningless. Um, but we get another song on our soundtrack like very quickly after this. Yeah, they're coming uh, at a steady clip here. Yeah, so um, after this scene, Deb goes off to hide in a listening booth to do some work where Joe finds her. And in the background, we hear uh, Evan Dando's The Ballad of El Goodo. Yes, let's go to a clip. Tell you that they know the places they've been to. And it's easy to go. They'll zip you up and dress you down and stand you in a our friend Evan Dando returns, minus the Lemonheads. Yeah, yeah. So. We're getting a lot of uh, uh, repeats on this soundtrack. Yes. kind of cool. This is, it's a passable cover, and I don't blame someone like Evan Dando for covering Big Star. But I just, I Big Star is one of those bands that I feel like only Big Star can be Big Star. <laughs> yeah, this is this is fine. It's a, oh. it's a pretty serviceable cover, and it's it's not surprising I guess its inclusion makes sense. Right. It fits the scene. It's mm-hmm. fine. And especially as we were starting to, you know, get these covers, we see them in, in other movies, um, these sort of punk covers. This one is not what we think of as like a traditional punk cover, the way that like the Mises were. Right. But, um, but yeah, there's, there's, it makes sense to have, you know, the guy from the Lemonheads covering a band that, likely influence the Lemonheads. Yeah, it's, it works out. Yeah, so, but it doesn't really mean anything to the, the scene. It's just, mm, it, it's, it yeah, becomes no. shorthand for, like, look at this cool record store. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and that's, I think, the difference with this soundtrack is the soundtrack stands fine on its own. It doesn't necessarily, like, mix well into the movie the way some of the other ones that we've had um, you know, and I'm thinking of things like there's something about Mary. It's hard to listen to like the propeller heads history repeating without thinking of that that montage. Oh yeah, definitely. So I think I think this is a case where like the movie really does prop up the soundtrack yeah. instead of the other way around. And that's what a lot of critics said was this is a soundtrack in search of a movie. Mm-hmm. AJ tries to tell Corey how he feels, does not go well. No, we uh, haven't no, that's after. No, no, he's, he's he's working his way up to it. Like he says that he's gonna tell her how he feels by like one thirty seven, and it's one thirty, yeah. and he's thinking about it, and he's trying to like work up the gumption to do it, and he just can't do it yet. Yes. Now, meanwhile, Corey is going to. She is preparing to fuck Rex Manning, and I do like her aggressiveness because um, she tells Joe that she's gonna bring Rex Manning his lunch, and he keeps repeating that Burgo's gonna bring Rex Manning his lunch, and she screams at him. <clears throat> lunch. Is, <laughs> which is I'm probably sorry. something i would do if, what scream at a person about lunch yes exactly like if i was presented with i don't know like walton goggins I'd be like i am bringing walton goggins his lunch <laughs> i re- i respect her 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 passion her thirst yes Uh-oh. yes um and this is where the movie again gets really chill about a high schooler trying to fuck a middle-aged man they seem perfectly cool with this 
And I get that I'm sure she's over 18. I mean, I don't think it's a, you know, Matt Gates sort of situation. But well, they've, um, they've established that she's gotten into Harvard and she's going to college. Yes, so. but she is still in high school. Yeah, and it should just yeah. be a standard rule that if you are an adult, you should not fuck people who are still in high school because they are still children. They are in high school. They have yeah, math just, class. It, you, if you are not in insert school bracket here, don't try to get with people in insert school bracket here. It's just generally better that it's way. It's very gross. But that being said, I like that Rex Manning asks for consent. He says, are you sure you want to do this? Like, he he's very communicative. He, he asked her a couple of times. Like, he knows he knows what's going on. Yeah. He's like, you're very, like, he, he tries to, to ward her off. And then, um, and then he's just like, yeah, well, blow me. Um, now, Jonathan, I have to ask this, and I don't want to. Um, <sighs> because this is gross, and I hope I, I hallucinated it. Um, in the extended version, does he pick up a bottle of salad dressing and say, I hope you like ranch. Uh, no, because he says, I hope you like blue cheese. Oh God, I've got to throw up everywhere. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 uns- he unzips his pants, presumably pulls something out of said pants and then says, hope you like blue cheese. And when she runs off, he just kind of goes <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> so he was going to put blue cheese dressing on his weenus. Damn Rex, man. Are you freaky? Now, see, this is weird. Cause like, I distinctly remember that scene from like 15 years ago the first time i watched this movie and when it didn't show up in the theatrical cut which i watched i thought i had like a dream and dread dreamed we all dreamed that rex manning puts (laughs) blue cheese except that i remembered ranch that he puts it on his wings i i i do i remember that too so in the theatrical version he just like whips it out and goes rock and roll right yeah yeah he just he just like unzips his pants and then she leaves the room that's it i'm sure he gets that a lot yeah, I think she she realizes like, oh, this there's not going to be like a fireplace and bearskin rug involved. Well, shit. Yeah, like he's just gonna put his dick in my mouth. Like it's not gonna be romantic. He's just he just wants to get blown. Um, and then she. It cannot be overstated though. During this scene, uh, is uh, playing a song called "Snake Face." <laughs> oh, because of course it is. This is where AJ becomes the villain of the film. <laughs> I hate him so much. Um, because she's up on the roof and she's crying and she's like, not now, AJ. And he says, no, it has to be now. Back off, buddy. Read the fucking room. Like, it has to be now. Entitlement. And I, I remember guys like that. And I still get guys like that who are like, we have to have this conversation. Like, we don't. I'm not dating you. I'm not married to you. We don't have to have this conversation. You're some dude from the internet. You don't get to invade me like that. In the world of this movie, he set himself a hard time limit. And if it if it's not now, it can't ever happen because that's how this movie works, apparently. Yeah. And then he's like, remember when you wore that skirt that I hate? Like, I just want to be like, push him off the roof, Liv. Push him yeah. off the roof. No one push will blame him off the you. Roof, you just say it was a suicide. The river. No one will ever find him. Yes. It's, it's, it's Cape Fear. No one will Cape ever find him. Destroy him. And then she... She confesses about this whole thing with Rex Manning, like, girl, you were a victim. He had no right. Um, And he kind of, like, slut shames her. And then she turns around, because hurt people hurt people, and slut shames Gina. Yep. At the pizza place where Eddie apparently also works. Yeah, Eddie works at the pizza place. He comes in wearing a pizza jacket. Uh, pizza jacket. He also pizza mentions shirt. that he's going to start his shift 
at Empire Records, so clearly Joe does not pay these people a living wage if he's trying to work two jobs. Um, he's in the hustle grind. He also uh, sells uh, brownies. He runs a bakery. I feel like he gives those away, like as a like gratis. Then that's why he has two jobs. Maybe. But you know, if Joe just didn't hire twenty fucking people, maybe he could. Maybe he could afford to pay you know at least ten of them a living wage. Yeah, maybe someone could get more than three and a half hours a week on their schedule. Yeah, exactly. So I'm. Um, but, yeah, she points out to Gina that um, she's like, well, you certainly seem to enjoy it. Like, yeah, because sex is great. Liv, you she's have... just living her truth, man. Yeah, yeah and I mean... Corey, you haven't had sex. You don't know. Yeah, Corey doth protest too much because the entire reason she even has the, the lucky red bra is because Gina gives it to her. Gina's wearing it at the start of the film. Yeah, and I think... I don't know. I don't remember if that's in the theatrical cut. Uh, I remember that so. scene, but... I don't. Yeah, there is there is a scene where where Gina talks about like this, this you know this this has served me well, but y- you do notice at the beginning that Gina has her shirt open way more, and you can see that she's wearing something red under it, and then suddenly she's not anymore after a little bit. But it's it's one of those things, and that was it, like now I'm mad at Corey because like how dare you talk to Gina like that? Gina is precious. She <laughs> yeah. has two Oscars. Do you know that? How many Oscars yeah, do has... you have for Armageddon? <laughs> I wrote in my notes here that Corey and Gina are in a constant battle to see who has the poutier lips, and I don't think Corey's going to win that fight. No, she's not going to win that fight. But it's like, oh, I'm sorry Rex Manning didn't put animal crackers in your underpants, Corey. <laughs> That's sorry. the entire problem. That's why I was imagining the entire time that AJ was Ben Affleck, and I was like, it doesn't make him any more or less punchable. Yeah, no, he's, <laughs> he's extremely punchable. So uh, we hear Edwin Collins, a girl like you. Let's go to a clip. This is such a great song. This is a delightful song. Yeah, this is good stuff. Yeah, this one uh, samples the drumbeat of Len Berry's 1965 single, One, Two, Three. And it is very groovy indeed. Yeah, it sounds like some, like, 60s fuck music. Yeah, and especially because, like, we're about to head into that 60s revival. Yeah. And the fact that this was... Uh, Pre-Austin Powers, like, wow. Yeah, and that it fell off the charts as the Beatles anthology came on. This is a perfect mm-hmm. song. This really, like, it, it's a shade early, just as we head into that revival there. Yeah, but that super fuzzy guitar and that, just, like, the xylophone beat, it's it's so good. So, <laughs> And the music video is great. The music video is, like, a weird, like, James Bond uh, intro sequence well, kind of video. <laughs> yeah. A bunch of silhouettes of people that you can kind of tell what they look like just dancing around. Like, ladies dancing and skeleton puppets. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, and actually, this song later appeared in uh, Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle. Oh, really? This song got a second life. And in 2009, because he owns the copyright, he wanted to make it a free download on his MySpace page, and um, but MySpace wouldn't let him, and they only allowed major labels to do that. So he fought it. Uh, News outlets picked up the story, and MySpace recanted, and he was allowed to offer it as a free download. Wow. So... Um, this I always get Edwin Collins a little mixed up with um, the dude that wrote "I'll Be," which is a terrible song. Edwin McCain, yeah, yes. me too. <laughs> and I was like, I was so relieved to find out that they were two separate people. And yeah. Edwin Collins is cool, and Edwin McCain blows. 
Yeah, this is this is mid '90s Edwin, not late '90s Edwin. Yeah, and I guarantee you that AJ has pressured a girl into sex to the tunes of "I'll Be." Oh, one thousand percent, yes. <laughs> he has definitely like, yeah. <clears throat> he seems to have weird issues around consent. Okay, so so yeah, where? I think, sorry, I think AJ's probably gotten a couple of like handies under duress. Let's just say. <laughs> So, so where does this song play in the film? Like, what's going on? This as they're at the pizza place. Oh, okay. See, I have this as uh, Gina and Rex uh, doing the thing in the closet in the store. It, it leads I, it, into that. Okay. Yeah, yeah okay. it starts at the pizza place. And yes, Gina fucks Rex Manning, um, which I get why. But again, this film is really big on having teenagers fuck adult men yeah it just seems sort of unnecessary and kind of creepy and i want to know okay so if this was loosely based on somebody's experience working at tower records now i want names (laughs) oh so somebody definitely fucked tom jones at a tower records or who'd we say uh David, David Cassidy. Cassidy. tom jones tom jones tom tom jones never stopped being fuckable like he put out sex bomb when he was like 90 yeah that song still slaps. He can still get it. Honestly, if Tom Jones came here, the three of us would line up to have sex with him. That's just what you do. Moving on. So let's talk about. <laughs> you know it. Um, uh, it's one of those things like, I'm not really into this, but it seems like the proper thing to do. Yeah, it's just like, well, Tom Jones is here. He kind of expects it. I, I guess I like blue cheese. Um <laughs> Um, we get a whole thing like, oh, I, uh, Corey tries to make it up with AJ and she's like, you're my best friend. And he's like, I'm a pouty little bitch. And then, uh, I, I do want to kind of stop there. That is like the most movie thing ever. It's like a character says like, you know, Hey, I think I'm in love with you. And your response is like, Oh no, we should just stay friends. No, the response is like, well, I don't love you back. This has killed our friendship. Yeah. Bye. You know what? Good. I'm glad it killed their friendship. He sucks. And he's a terrible no, artist. Sorry. And like when he sh- it shows him drawing her, I'm just like, oh, you're a bad artist. Napoleon, Dynam- Napoleon Dynamite ass drawing. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, her, her first her first like thought to him is like, I'm I'm sorry you hate me now, but like, wait a minute. No. No. It has been fifteen minutes. <laughs> it's been Maybe give it some minutes. time. <laughs> so um and then oh, this is it's this we have now reached the after school special portion of our film and she takes something a pill i it might be pyrin tablets which for those of you who've never seen the bird cage there's just aspirin with the a and the script off uh, yes, yes and um deb starts making buttons for some inexplicable reason to the tune of liar by the cranberries cranberries i wish i love the cranberries more every time i hear the cranberries they've got another song called uh how that appears uh not on the soundtrack but in the movie um she just has like one of the most distinctive voices of the 90s and this is my favorite cranberries song um 
and one of my favorites from the soundtrack. I listen to this song a lot, actually, probably at least once a week. It comes up in rotation. Um, and I like how they set the rest of the band sort of back in the mix. They're playing very, very, very softly. Because, yeah, like, why would you want to overpower that voice? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And my problem with the Cranberries is just because I'm so much more familiar with Zombie. It's just, it's just like, it's it's hard for me to take any of their music as something other than like a Irish independence protest song and it's it's weird to hear it outside of that context basically yeah we were really suddenly big into like Irish rock bands in the late 80s through the early 90s Sinead O'Connor you too Cranberries yeah, or, or just like songs about like like the troubles in general are were huge for some reason <laughs> yeah it's Dolores O'Riordan yes yes, yes. So. and it's 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 it's, just, it's really is a shame that she passed away you know so young because she, her her voice was just so wonderful and it's it's strange because a lot of those those great songstresses of the 90s sort of didn't make it out the woman from the divinals died of breast cancer mm-hmm. like a lot of them yeah. died very young and not from like the way that like typically like young rock stars die well yeah it's different from like a lot of the grunge icons kind of killed themselves and then a lot of the the 90s alt rock sort of uh female singers didn't yeah yeah like kim shattuck from who was in pandora's and pixies she had als yeah Ooh, yeah but yeah no this you're, you're right this song like I, I i definitely get like weird crow vibes from this song like this is this sound like deb seems like a character who would be fit in perfectly in the crow and she'd be listening to songs exactly like this yes in that movie yes she definitely and maybe it's because she looks like Sinead o'connor Probably. The the cranberries make a lot of sense, and actually, um, Gina calls her Senado Rebellion again. Not a great line, um, eh, but yeah. I do love her. Shock me, shock me, shock me with your deviant behavior. I use that one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then AJ, reaching his final form of douchebaggery, decides to put on "Say No More" to mock Corey because he Ugh. is. <laughs> The actual functional worst. God damn it, AJ. <laughs> Honestly, it may, this makes me so mad. And I'm not sure like what we're supposed to feel in this scene. Because if AJ's the character we're supposed to like, like, are we supposed to be like, oh good, she deserves that? But like he's such an asshole. That's an yeah, yeah, asshole it, move. And then he's like dancing look- with Deb, taking his shirt off. What a fucking piece of trash. Yeah, literally any other song that's just like, oh, he's just decided he wants to cheer up Deb because she was being mopey earlier. But instead, it's Say No More and Moe No More, which is like, hey, remember that guy you you chicken out on fucking? Yeah, exactly. Who was probably terrible. Any Like, yeah, it's, it's such a rude, horrible thing to do. Yes, Joe rightfully puts an end to these shenanigans because they apparently do not allow dancing in a music town. I, my guess is because their corporate headquarters is in Beaumont. Ah, good one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then oh, Joe no. decides to kick the shit out of, again, what I think we were supposed to believe is at most a man maybe in his early 20s. So he essentially beats up a teenager. Honestly, at this point, the cop should have been called. So, um, and then AJ, who we, as you remember, has just slut shamed Corey in front of an entire store full of people who are just trying to buy a record for their niece for christ's sakes they do not need this 
Uh, yeah, and as far as anyone else there knows, they're like, oh, we're just going to listen to this this dumb ironic song. Don't like it, nobody else is really in on the joke. Yes, but it's playing loud, and there's like a shirtless kid dancing, and it's just like, can I just please check out? Like, I really, I don't need this. <laughs> I really just, I don't want to be a part of your scene. I just want to pick up a copy. <laughs> you cannot sanction this buffoon. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> like, I just really want to pick up a copy of Brutal Youth and leave, please. You know, I, I don't fucking need this. I'm just gonna go home and go online and order my records from Amazon. <sighs> Fuck this. I'm leaving. I'm going to Music Town. I'm, I'm going to Music Town. No, no, this like shit like this is why people stopped going to record stores and started buying shit on the internet. Yes, like, I don't go need home. to leave my house to to, I to see shit like this. Do not need your teen drama and your weird excessiveness and the music played too loud i I just i can't i can't with this um but go home call CompuServe, and then nine hours later i will be on the website to buy records at home on the worldwide information superhighway um finally download that one aerosmith song they put on the internet for free damn it (laughs) but um yes so we find out that rex manning had sex with gina who again is an actual high schooler i just need to keep driving this home and uh aj uh beats him up AJ yeah, immediately tackles him, and I don't know why. Because AJ's a piece of shit. That's why. Because it's like, because it upset Corey, and but it's like, no, you upset Corey. You could have yeah, been a good like, person, and you weren't. Because like, Corey's but, just a but, vagina and an idea to you. Uh, Does anybody I, in this, like, anyone here know how to behave? I, I, I think the idea is supposed to be that, like, oh, Rex Manning sh- should know better than to be like, well, the one girl... The one girl, like, you know, got cold feet about fucking me. Obviously, I shouldn't fuck the second girl who's just doing it to get back at the first girl. Yes, and I guess, like, on one hand, I'm with AJ because we should not be letting adult men have sex with teenage girls. But it it feels like AJ's, like, doing it, like, quote-unquote, like, for Corey's honor. But you're the one that's playing Say No More, Mon More to embarrass her. So, like, why are you white knighting? Does it get like none of the behavior in yeah. this film makes any it, sense to anything except that was in the yeah, script? Because AJ's problem isn't with like the hey don't fuck the don't fuck the teens Rex Manning. His problem is like hey don't revenge fuck the other teens friend. I guess like that's why AJ's mad about he's he's mad that he's mad at Gina and Rex for fucking when eight when it when not fucking upset Corey basically that's he's not really mad at her for fucking Gina he's not really mad at Gina for fucking Rex Manning except for the fact that doing so seems to be a, a, a specific jab at Corey and I get that it's just like it's such a weird like coming from the yeah. scene we just had I it just like it doesn't it's a weird kind of like doesn't make sense does that make sense yeah. Yeah, because it's it's very incongruous because the the skeeve you get from it is not the skeeve that the movie's trying to make you get from it at all. Yeah, and it's, and it's just messy. These are just they're a bunch ugh. of messy bitches. This, I totally like the. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I totally buy that this is like one of those vignettes that happened in real life because like normal people are idiots and they probably would act this way. I guess, but it's just like by this point we've just been on this emotional roller coaster of like, wait, what's what's ha- what's happening? What's happening? Where where are we now? What's going on? What's it's it's too much. It's too much. Yeah, um, this is where all of the conflict in the movie like happens and then gets resolved in like ten minutes time yes, because because now everyone's problems are revealed at once. Now is the time in our after school special where we freak out about the drugs because apparently Corey is on speed and Gina is oh upset about God. this and they all have a meltdown. 
It's out. Corey's doing drugs. Oh my god. But the important thing we learn is that weed is good, and if you do weed, you can go into the TV like and stay tuned. Yes, exactly. Well, we're, we're gonna get to that. Um, because yeah, then Deb, who is just like taking a shit, just like counsels uh, Corey, and everything's good and dandy. And then yes, the only scene in the film that is good. Take it away, Jonathan. Uh, Mark is sitting there watching Guar on the TV eating brownies. And that he, Mark has had this thing going on where he wants to start a band, but I think he doesn't know anything about like playing music. He's just like starting a band is a cool guy thing to do. And he imagines himself on stage with Guar playing guitar, and then and then the big mouth puppet eats him. Which I mean, honestly, that's what you want to do when you're on stage with Guar is get eaten by the the big puppet. Yes, and this has another one of my favorite lines in the movie, which is actually Joe. I'm going to have you put this clip in there because I'm not going to get it right. Okay. Um, where he says, "Mark, man, you play a mean guitar, man. But you know, it's really a shame that you must die." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's my favorite thing. <laughs> and I say it all the time to anybody doing anything. Like, wow, Ian, you're making awesome popcorn. Too bad you must die. <laughs> And actually, last year, I had posted about Rex Manning Day, um, and Guar favorited my tweet. <laughs> nice. Which remains, like, I have a screenshot of it saved. Um, is is it like a nervous tick thing almost for you? Like, everyone goes to myself, I shouldn't just say, too bad you must die to this random person. <laughs> no. Um, my, my problem like that is, I have a real big problem with not just impulsive responding anytime someone says, be careful. Not just responding with, I'll be dead! <laughs> because of Star Wars. That's really, that's amazing. Um, I mean, it's like me, anytime anybody goes anywhere, I always think to, my, I always think to myself, don't say, watch out for snakes. <laughs> say that to me when Nikki and I go to medieval times. Yeah, watch out for snakes. <laughs> now, um, Guar also came to Magic City Music Hall because apparently I lived in Empire Records in Binghamton in 2005. Good lord. Oh, dear. And th- again, uh, the song that's playing is Sadama Gogo, and it's not on the soundtrack. Despite, again, featuring in a prominent scene, which is weird. But um, I did not go see Guar, but my friend Dale in my art class did, and she proudly boasted that she got covered in fake blood. Yeah, that's the thing they do. Yeah, so every time I hear Guar, I think about, uh, I think about Dale. And if you've never seen Guar on the AV clubs under the covers covering Billy Ocean's Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Car. It is the funniest thing in the world. Yes, that's amazing. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. So at this point, the most quote-unquote dramatic thing in the movie happens, and the gang stages a fake funeral for Deb. Yes, this because... will solve her crippling depression and abandonment issues. And like, instead of everybody just saying nice things about Deb, they're like, they all, you know, they say, you know, would anyone like to say something? And they all just start saying random crap about like themselves and each yeah. other. <laughs> and like, Gina is like, I want to sing in a band. Like, um, can we talk about Deb? <laughs> no one has a thing. No one has a single thing to say about Deb, good or bad. Yeah, because Deb, yeah. like all the characters in here, is a is an idea. She's not a fully fleshed out character. She's a series of quote-unquote dramatic traits in a tank top yep which i think that might be why part of the movie appeals to so many people because you can there's so many characters and they all are basically defined by character traits 
more so than actually being characters, that you can pick any one of them and be like, yeah, that's me. See, I have like, a theory that these characters represent the seven deadly sins. Whoa. I'll accept it. So, okay, go on. So, um, for instance, one could say that uh, Gina represents envy, that uh, Warren represents wrath, that Corey represents pride, that AJ represents lust, that Lucas represents greed, that Mark represents sloth, and uh, I'm just going to assign gluttony to Eddie, because why not? Pizza. Yeah, uh, that that tracks. I wish you had said Warren represents wrath last, because it's at this point that Warren shows back up with a gun. Because why not? Why not? Why not? This <laughs> is a fucking ABC fuck after school special. Why not? Of course Warren yeah. shows up with a gun. Why wouldn't he? Dick yeah. Tracy shows up with a Tommy gun to blow away everybody. Yes. And this is like not only pre-Columbia, but pre-Jonesboro, so it's like it's not really weird that a kid has a gun. Yeah. yeah. And like this actually, like watching this now, um, stressed me out a lot. It yeah, it did. I I noticed I I, I caught myself counting the gunshots because he has a revolver. So I'm like, all right, so he's just gonna like like waste his six shots and then something's gonna happen. No, that didn't happen. It's this is not a movie that makes sense. But but <laughs> yeah, we live in an era where like, of course you would be shot at a record store. Why wouldn't you? And it yeah. that's really stressful. And it, it it's kind of unbelievable. Obviously, we couldn't have predicted that, but that it, that's a sad state. It's amazing, yeah, how, how things like that play so much differently now mm-hmm. than they did 25 years ago. Yes. Like, yeah, it, sure, that's a, 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 an armed robbery at a record store. That's a stressful situation, sure. But today, oh, my God, no way. No, 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 no. Yeah, you're, like, weirdly on edge but also desensitized. Like, of course. Of course a, a young white male is going to shoot up a record store because he feels entitled to something. Listen, I just want a fucking free Offspring CD, and I'll go, okay? Yeah, like, of course. Um, but apparently the crazy thing with Warren is Warren just Warren feels entitled to being considered cool, basically. Yeah, and he's like, you think you're so great because you work in a record store. That's the thesis of this film. Like, congratulations, we've made it. All yeah, these people think that, they're so much better than everybody else because they work in a record store. Where's Randall Graves when you need him? Yeah, and at the end of the day, like, all Warren wants is to be considered one of the cool kids to work at a record store which is so weird like really you have no other fulfilling things in your life than to work a minimum wage job no he's 14 he doesn't give a shit i guess but it's just like that's what you want like i just i don't again because warren isn't a character warren is a representation of uh an idea a biblical idea of wrath um that he's just like he wants this thing like so they, quote, unquote, like, give him a job, and he's lifted up with honest labor instead of uh, turning him over to the prison industrial complex. Mm, yeah. Which, like, so, I uh, actually don't know how I feel about that, because I'm like, oh, good. White violence is, is, oh, is rewarded. So you're saying he's rehabilitated through capitalism? I, I guess, or just simply being a white boy. That well, the, the, the cops are kind of like, a, it's a white kid with a gun loaded with blanks, so we're just going to give him a stern talking to, and he'll be back here in a couple hours. Yeah, and it's just, it's baffling, but it also makes sense. And it's just like, every every boy in this movie feels entitled to everybody else's shit. Burko, AJ, Warren, 
Uh, every really, Mark, at the end of it, like, Mark is the only character that doesn't want something out of other people. I was going to say Lucas, but no, he's all about the money. Yeah, and he thinks it's, like, to save Record Town, and that's great. But, yeah, Lucas still... Yeah, okay, Look, I, just because he's hot doesn't mean he can get away with this. I, I don't remember if we established at the start because uh, about what exactly is going on. Lucas kind of freaks out about the Music Town contract thing, and then when he comes back and says, "Hey, I managed to lose all the money," the reason it really pisses Joe off is not just about the money, but because Joe was trying to buy the store out from uh, from, from the manager, and that nine thousand dollars was like the last little bit he needed to do that. Right. Yeah. So like there was like there was, there was a plan in place to save the store, quote unquote, all along, and it doesn't come into play again until literally fifteen minutes from the end of the movie. Yeah, it's just funny. Like, speaking of John Mulaney's for Lucas, is like what he should have done was nothing. Yeah, but like like if, if this if this was a conventional normal regular movie, the save the store plot would have been the plot of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And but instead, they decided to shoehorn in every teen cliche that they could. So then, you know, and like what nine p.m. with uh, fifteen minutes to go in the film, uh, Mark hatches a scheme to like get himself on TV and invite everybody to the record store so that they can spend money and donate money to help them save Empire Records. And the crazy part is, people show up. Yeah, which again is like, okay, this is pure fantasy. This would never happen. <clears throat> Yeah, like the the real life version of this is the movie Airheads, where like the record the the radio station goes under and no one saves it. So, but yeah, so the the, the plan is in place, and they hatch a scheme to save the store, and this includes having a band play over the marquee of the whole store, and we get I guess one of the last yes we get one of the last songs on our soundtrack. It's Sugar High by Coyote Shivers. Let's go to a clip. Now, I'm about to say possibly the grossest thing I've ever said, so I recommend that those weak of stomach turn back now. So again... Uh, there's two versions of this song. There's the one that we hear in the film, which has vocals by Renee Zellweger, and it's super cute and adorable and fun, and it sounds like a really good time, like watching Saturday Night Live and making out on the couch. That sounds great. The version we get on the CD, however, is a little dirtier. It talks about, uh, there's a line, I feel so funny deep inside when I lick between your thighs, Keep in mind, Coyote Shivers was married to Liv Tyler's mom. So Liv Tyler is dancing to a song about her mom getting her pussy eaten. And I say that and you can be like, that song could have been about anybody. But the original lyric, or the lyric that appears in the soundtrack is they all said she's just another groupie slut. Now, the character Penny Lane in Almost Famous... Uh, was based on Bebe Buell. So remember, she was dating Todd Rundgren. She'd also dated Elvis Costello for a time. Um, supposedly the song Man Out of Time on Imperial Bedroom is written about her. But she's dating Todd Rundgren. She fucks Steven Tyler, goes back to Todd Rundgren, gives birth to Liv Tyler. She was a groupie. And like, uh, no judgment. But 
It's hard. Tyler's mom is the groupie slut that he's singing about. I can't believe this song was written by Pepe Silva. (laughs) Thank you. So yeah, that's Empire Records, everybody. It's (laughs) like. I'm sorry. If I know this, you have to know this. My my brain is is starting to melt down because I can't process all this. Yeah, but like that's this is how the movie ends. This is how the soundtrack ends. This is how my brain ends. Apparently, is with the knowledge that Liv Tyler's stepdad wrote a song about eating out his mom, eat her mom. <laughs> Fuck, that's even worse. God. Okay. Um, it is help me out out of this nosedive, please. <laughs> Uh, the the fun punchline is Coyote Shivers was declared a vexatious litigant by this by the state of California, so he can't like just start lawsuits anymore. A vexatious litigant? Yeah, it, litigious. It's it's their term for when like you just start too many frivolous lawsuits and they won't let you anymore. Like you have to like if you want to sue somebody, you have to like ask a judge for permission to do so because mm-hmm. you've wasted too, everyone's time so many times already. Well, she hey Mark, and- I've got a great yeah. name for your band. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, Biel and, and several of his other girlfriends have frequently accused him of just being viciously abusive. So, yeah, really, yikes. Coyote Shivers, get fucked. Yikes. Get royally fucked. And that's just, it's so creepy. It's so creepy. That is, that skeevy man, like, like, level infinity to do that. You didn't need to do that. And you did. Um, but yeah, so they saved the day. That's all I got to say about that. And Gina sings it's... in a band. Hooray! Yay! She Gina is it. the one person who gets what she wants, right? Sort kind of. of. Because um, Corey and AJ meet on the roof, and she really kind of lays into him. She starts, like, shoving him, and which I'm just like, kick his ass, kick his ass. But she talks about how talented he is, and it's just like, mm, I don't think so. I don't think he is, actually. Like, uh... He needs to go to art school because he sucks right now. Well, but it's like, I'm going to go to art school in Boston. Now, my husband went to art school, and that's not something you can just do. <laughs> it's not, you You have to, like, you can't just decide I'm going to go to art school in Boston to stalk, I mean, be near you. <laughs> yeah, a better movie would have his storyline be like, you know, I got accepted to all these art schools, but I just, you know, I'm afraid of... The, I'm, I'm afraid of change, basically. So I'm just working at this crappy record store. But this isn't a better movie. Yeah, but and this is all, this sequence is set to uh, till I hear it from you. You get that? And I'm um, like officially like it, it's actually like in the mix of the soundtrack. Like or, the first time we hear it, it's just playing off a of radio. Now it's actually in the the film proper. So I'm. Um, and but then see I always think that this plays over cuz they all dance on the rooftop at the end and I always think yeah. that that is um the song that plays as they dance and it's not No it's not What song that plays as they dance Oh I got to look that up cuz it's not the song that plays as they dance is not on the soundtrack The end of the dance party into the credits starts with uh, the thes with this is the day Which is not to be confused with the Ivy song this is the day from the soundtrack to There's Nothing About Mary, which, as we've established multiple times, rules hard. Absolutely. So, but yeah, it, the the what was included on the soundtrack, because we didn't talk about a lot of songs. We didn't talk about Cracker's Whole Lot of Trouble. Um, we didn't talk about The Innocence Mission, Bright is Yellow, Lustrous Night Over, Nice Overalls, Drills, What You Are. A lot of the songs just were sort of meaningless, and they're meaningless on the soundtrack, and they're meaningless in the film. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I listened to the soundtrack yesterday. I watched the film yesterday. If you asked me to talk about any of those ones you just named, I could not do it. The Cracker song is is worth another listen, um, and I do like Cracker a lot. But it it's sort of a baffling little piece um, because it, it, it is in an era of some really strong soundtracks. And it is, in theory like red like tailor made for that that soundtrack buying audience of you know people in their their early 20s late teens early 20s who were buying the wayne's world soundtrack and who were buying the waiting to exhale soundtrack and it just it sold but it really is missing a lot yeah this album it feels like this album shouldn't be called the empire Records soundtrack it should be called like a&M's hot new shit for 1995, but then nobody would have bought it without Empire Records being on it. Yeah, I but think. nobody without, saw Empire Records anyway. Yeah. It's just, it's just Liv Tyler being on the cover was what it took, yeah. I think. Which, you know, Aerosmith could have done that too. They didn't do it. Yeah. But, now, I mean, th- this is one of those soundtracks where uh, sometimes they'll call it songs from and inspired by this movie. And that would and, have been great if they had included some songs that were also in the movie, like the flying lizards, like the other cranberries tracks, like some of the more notable songs. Right. Like the, yeah. the one ACDC track, which is a great song and it's a great little scene in the film, but no, it doesn't fit with the rest of the, the, the sound of the album. So they just didn't. So. Yeah. So we end up with all of these songs that play for like three seconds over the store radio. And then, Oh, that's enough to get on the soundtrack. And I think that's where the luster song comes from. Yeah. And that's where you think like, okay, so we've got this, this moment set to, till I hear it from you. And that, that is what a good soundtrack does is you can connect it like to the film. Right. Yeah. But none of these either play long enough or play loud enough to really make sense. And we've got the, the Mises track and, uh, you know, a couple others, but it just, it, it's yeah, a fine album on its out. own. It just doesn't work as a soundtrack. Yeah, I think it's like that, that A&M sampler, 1995. This is the kind of record that a record store would buy to play in the store. Yeah. Because, so. like, you're not listening to the music at a record store. And again, like, some of them, like, um, uh, the Martinis never had... A, a major label album and so one of the things that, that we found that's so great about a lot of these soundtracks is okay so you hear um a song so like uh the sun's too much of a good thing right. on dumb and dumber and then you go seek out the rest of their music and you go buy some of their other albums and you can only get that song on that soundtrack mm-hmm. but this a lot of them didn't have the kind of albums that would be easily accessible. You might be able to find one if you happen to have a record store that can order those, but you're not going to have that Martini's album. And now, I mean, you know, you could go to their page and listen to it, I'm sure. But it just, it's a, it's a weird little beast, the Empire Records soundtrack. It, it really is. John, Jonathan, I think you, you nailed it. It really is like, now that's what I call jangle pop. 95 because <laughs> this it's just it it smacks so much of just like this is a a, a corporate uh compilation uh slapped together of of songs from artists that we have in our catalog that we're not doing anything with let's use that and stick it 
in this movie. Hopefully, some, some one of them will make money. Yeah, a bunch of dumb teenagers will go see it because they'll see anything. Like, it's it's Clark's for moms. But instead, all the dumb teenagers went to see Showgirls, so that didn't pan out. Well, yeah, because there were titties in that. I mean, of course, yeah. So, um, and yeah, that we've developed a weird sort of nostalgia for this uh, also baffles me. But again, I wish everybody a happy Rex Manning day, so I'm no better. I bought the Liv Tyler Forever 21 skirt. I'm garbage like you all. Speak for yourself. I'm garbage in completely different ways. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that on another episode. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the songs that kind of take us into the end credits, we get, we get reprises of uh, Free by the Martinis. We get we hear Till I Hear It From You one more time. Like, they could not resist the urge to play the Gin Blossoms one more time. I, I'm not going to hold that against them. No, me neither. And then we get this really dumb, like, mid credit scene where Mark and whatever the fuck the pizza guy's name was. Eddie. Eddie. Uh, they they try to compare the misfits to Primus, and I don't even know how you start doing that. Oh my god, he is the uh, Eddie is the worst fucking type of music nerd. Eddie, I I there are a dozen Eddies on my Twitter at any oh, given yeah. moment, like trying <laughs> to explain shit to me. Mm. No, this just don't like. Uh, let just let Mark have his fun, okay, Eddie? Just shut the fuck up. Yeah, how would you even... I just, I can't. I can't like besides, with Eddie. Primus sucks, and we all know it, so let's just move on. <sighs> That's Empire Records, everybody. We did it. Happy Rex Manning we Day, We did it. Everyone. Happy Rex Manning Day. We've wasted two hours of your lives, uh, an entire half hour more than the, the fucking film. I, we did it again. I don't know how we keep doing this, but we keep doing this. There's Well, I think because there's three of us. Also, and I know 2020 was really super terrible for everyone, uh, but there was one teeny tiny bright spot. One Which singular was? bright spot. In 2018, uh, they made an announcement that they were bringing Empire Records to the stage in 2020. Obviously, that did not <laughs> happen. So happy Rex Manning Day, everyone. We did it. We've conquered. <laughs> we have conquered oh, good. Empire I can... Records. Oh, good. I can watch people do nothing in person. Awesome. <laughs> yes. It's a meaningless end of the story. Oh, my God. Just imagine a horrible like musical musical number about rex manning day i just i don't understand rex manning day song yes i don't understand why say no more mon amour is not on the soundtrack that blow you have a whole film built around this song and you don't include it on the soundtrack what is the actual point and it it is in the movie and is in reality a fucking earworm too like you get that damn chorus in your head and it won't leave Oh yeah, totally. Like it's it's a legit good song. It didn't need to be, but it is. You didn't need to go that hard, but you did, Rex Manning. Yep. So, but yeah, it's not. And I I do not understand why. I have no idea. Yeah, they wrote it. a full song. It's four minutes and thirty seconds. They shot the whole video. Yeah, that's. I, I'm gonna have to close the book on uh, Empire Records here because we have spent way too much time talking about this. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, but but Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jonathan. On this, this wonderful Rex Manning day. Well, thank you for letting me yell about some '90s bullshit. Oh, anytime, anytime. So, Joe, what are we doing next time? Uh, next time, we are taking a road trip to Virgil, Texas, because we are discussing the soundtrack to Talking Heads' True Stories. Ooh, fun! Oh God, I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. Yes, that's that's going to be a really good one. 
Uh, so until then, Libby, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Libby Codemore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. Or you can find me over at the Shattered Shield podcast where we are finishing up season six. Joe, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Cordial Wombat or Instagram at Cordial Wombat. Or you can find myself and Jonathan Five on the Christmas Creeps podcast where we talk about Christmas movies all year round. Hopefully we'll be back in the saddle here soon. Uh, we planned an episode and then I caught COVID. So that didn't happen. We're just glad you're but, feeling uh, better. I, I'm yes. so glad to be back. So hopefully that'll be coming down the pike uh, soon, sooner rather than later. Uh, Jonathan, is there anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, if you're looking for me, uh, Final Fantasy 14 online, primal data center, let's play Mahjong. Other than that, go away. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so for the OST party, I'm Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. I'm Jonathan Five, the human robot. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. Take the ride. Take the ride.